All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Simply Cyber Live. The, the music on the intro and the music on that countdown timer do not even remotely represent the energy of what this show is all about and where we're going to be going. So I'm going to have to overcompensate to make it even out uh, here on the show. But today's stream, I am super pumped about. If you're new here, this is Simply Cyber Live. I'm Jerry Ozier, and every Thursday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I bring cybersecurity industry experts in from all different facets of the industry because I love the entire industry to bring in uh, their story, their experience, and today is going to be a banger. We've got Ian Garrett, who is the CEO and co-founder of Phalanx. Now, Phalanx is a cybersecurity startup in the entire point of today's talk. Obviously, we get to know Ian. We get to hear a little bit about him, right? Obviously. But Ian's really come on to share his experience and tell you literally how to go from zero to cybersecurity startup. Now I said in 90 days, so we're gonna time box Ian here and, and, and have him, you know, he's gonna launch our company here in 90 days. Uh, so we'll see how he does that. But he's already got all the lumps, all the bruises, all the skinned knees of going through the gauntlet that is zero to cybersecurity startup. And the entire reason we're doing this talk is because at Wild West Hacking Fest in Deadwood, woo woo, Ian, I think he was next to me in line at the lunch line. And I'm like, hi, what's, you know, like, hello, I'm Jerry. Like, you know, it's summer camp, like, hello. And then we sat down and started talking and he told me he did a cybersecurity startup. I'm like, oh my God, dude, like how that is intense, like insane. He's like, no, it's, it's really not. He's like, it's, it's more myth than it is truth on, um, on launching a startup. So I said, okay, you got to come on. You got to come on. So he's going to be here. Standard rules apply, right? What, what do they call it? Um, there's some like English word like uh, duck house rules or something like that. I forget what it is. I'm sure chat will let me know. But standard rules apply, guys. Uh, be kind to each other. If you have questions for Ian, which I'm sure many of you do, uh, go ahead and drop them in chat with a Q just so I know that it's for me or that it's for me to tell Ian. We are going to be dropping so much knowledge bombs. So if you've even had a sniff of an idea of getting that side hustle a little bit more formalized, getting a cybersecurity startup, you have a great idea and you just need the direction to launch it, this is what's going to be for you, okay? I want to say what's up to Jack Scott in the house, Chris Adalgo, Stormwalking, Neon Nomad. He's going to be right there at the top with the questions. He was dropping that in uh, the threat briefing this morning. But enough out of me, guys. Let's go get Ian and let's start learning how to launch a cybersecurity startup in 90 days or less, okay? I'm super excited. Let's go. All right, Mr. Ian, how are you, sir? How you doing? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. Super excited to talk about uh, startups. Heck yeah, man. Now, before we get into it, I, I do, I've started asking uh, chat or not chat, my guests this, and I'd love uh, to hear your answer. Are you um, like, what's your drink of choice, man? Are you like a craft beer guy, a liquor guy, a wine guy, abstain? What, 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 what's your poison? Yeah, it's a tough choice. I do, I do really appreciate it all. I think um, it really depends on the, the moment, but I would say if it's, the winter time, like a uh, Imperial IPA would be good. Okay. Um, or big wine guy, actually. And then from a, a liquor standpoint, probably either a gin martini or just a, a good bourbon on the rocks. Um, but <laughs> it really depends on the day. Yeah, nice. I, I can totally appreciate that. That's good. I'm a craft beer 
craft beer guy myself, uh, but like like you said, sometimes if you're having like a wicked nice steak dinner or something like that, a red wine is kind of, you know, the most appropriate thing to get in there. So uh, definitely excited to talk about cybersecurity startups. So Ian, just to kind of level set for everyone, because you do have a technical background, um, can you kind of just give a little brief, a brief for the chief? I mean, yeah, the brief for the chief, a brief for the chat on a little bit about your background and then about Phalanx. I, I really want to bookend where we are so then when we drive into the meat of it, it'll all make sense. Yeah, so just going a quick quick overview on where where it was to really got me here. So uh, after college, I had joined the Army uh, in the Army Cyber Corps, so spent a number of years active duty um, doing that, mostly focused on off offensive cyber, so a lot of firsthand experience with uh, breaching networks, offloading data, and all the mechanics behind that. So that was a ton of fun, a lot of uh, work in both the operation side, but also in the capabilities development. Um, after I left active duty, I uh, went into a PhD program that focused um, in, again, cyber, <laughs> unsurprisingly, but also in artificial intelligence. So uh, research really focused on both leveraging uh, AIML to perform cyber attacks, but also the cyber security of those models themselves. Um, and then some industry experience, uh, more cyber, <laughs> um, but also some data science as well in the defense industry. Um, but it was really 2020 that kind of took all those culminating, culminating experiences and got me to stand up and say, hey, there's something else missing here. I've always been inter interested in entrepreneurship, um, but having a military and kind of defense contracting background, uh, really didn't know where to start and didn't have a lot of mentors to you know look to to, to ask, how did you do it either? Um, but yeah, 2020 happened, everyone went remote, massive uh, skyrocket in, in data breaches over 400%. Um, and, you know, between my operational experience and academic experience, I was like, I know exactly what the problem is. And that's a lack of uh, tools and capabilities that allow organizations to operate pro productively in a remote environment. Because, uh, you know, perimeter-based security has been the traditional way of operating. And that doesn't really work when your employees aren't in your secure perimeter. <laughs> and we all know that uh, being in a VPN is not great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you definitely saw a market need uh, and a way to solve for that market need. So I guess, I guess, kind of pivoting or into getting into startup life. I mean, would you think step one? Okay, so let's do it in ninety days. I mean, a step one, day zero, um, have an idea, like have, have, like find a problem and then have a solution for it, or what? What? What's step one? Yeah. So, um, and, and really you can think of it as like a step zero, step negative, negative one, even, <laughs> and that is, is, is really finding a pain point that exists within the, the market or within the community. And honestly, the best way to look is look at what you're doing right now and see what is some friction that exists. So if that's cybersecurity, it's, Hey, um, we're spending a lot of hours doing this manually. Can this be automated? Or, oh, you know, we spend so much money doing this and it's just taking so much for budget or, you know, any kind of issue that exists, you know, with what you're doing already and find what is like a, a true pain point there. Um, and I would say that's the first way to go find an idea. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't necessarily want to uh, just pick something you're like, oh, this is cool. Let me just go after it. Uh, those don't usually end up doing so well. But if you have a real true pain point associated with, um, you know, some sort of market that actually is a great way to start. Okay. So, okay. So let's use Phalanx as a, as a case study then, right? That way we're not, we're not, uh, 
blowing anybody's spot up here with like some million dollar idea that they have in chat and and like someone steals it and goes to market so um the the pain like so did you see this pain point firsthand you were experiencing this pain point or did someone come to you and say like oh my god i wish there was a better way yeah it was a, it was a mix so it was a mix of the cyber community that i was already a part of um you know knew a number of you know throughout my career met a number of people in other companies and um it's just kind of the usual when you get together and people are like oh you know this 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 thing is awful and oh this thing's annoying um hearing that through that process and then also you know my own personal having been in industry working you know seeing what was an issue and for us understanding that again a lot of that surrounded the the point of data security for data that's outside of databases so um any kind of like documents digital files like that uh usually like i knew you know encryption is the best way to secure that but i all the existing encryption tools were not great <laughs> um mm -hmm. again going back to kind of that trigger so it was, it was kind of a known problem that i've seen and know, known of and it was that trigger of those remote workers causing those data breaches that made me say oh you know let me just connect the dots here of here's an existing pain point that nobody's really solving for and here's something that's driving a need for adoption for sort of for a change versus you know 10 years ago same problem existed but there was no real fire underneath to get people to want to change what they're doing yeah okay so now now you've got like a great pain point um you're going to solve for it so like this is i feel like this is the the first true hurdle where you're like oh my god um and, and I do know that my voice is echoing a little bit through Ian's microphone. It's just, you know what the problem is, Ian? I cannot help but speak at like volume 1000, which by the way, which is why I'm <laughs> my wife, she must really love me because I'm, I'm like just basically constantly yelling from uh, my studio. Um, so I feel like this next part we're about to get to is the hurdle that many people get to, right? So he, I'm, this is gonna sound like so, um, you know immature or naive or idiotic but what what i when i hear that i'm like okay so what like obviously i'm gonna get business cards right but what's the first thing is it like um because you have a, a software product i mean is it to go hire 50 developers is it to go get money is it to is it to write a business plan is that actually like a real thing that people do like what, what how do you get this momentum moving how do you get it going yeah, so this, I think, is the big point where a lot of people say, and they do a lot of different things, a lot of, you know, what you mentioned, <laughs> a lot of people actually do get business cards, which don't even bother right now, honestly, um, eventually, yes, but, and this is against a step zero, really, because you can do this without quitting your job, without, you know, as on the side, and that's really just talk to people. Um, we're, we're a B2B company, we're business to business, so we're selling to other businesses, I would say, one mistake that we made is that we didn't talk to enough people before we started just moving forward. Um, so as a B2B company, I would say if there's 10 different other companies you can talk to or personas within those companies of you know, who represent the real buyer of your product, um, talk to them first without having built anything. <laughs> Don't waste any time building anything until you realize there's something that you can sell. 
Um, mm -hmm. In fact, you can actually sell before you build by building up a wait list, building up a list of contacts of people who are like, oh my gosh, I can't wait till this thing exists. Let me know. That's how you know you have something that's even worth building in the first place. And then you can figure out, all right, do I need to raise money? Can I bootstrap it? You know, is there grants that exist? But first step is really just talk to people within the buyer persona. So if you're selling to consumers, about 100 people. If you're selling to businesses, about 10 businesses. Um, that's a good benchmark. Yeah, and uh, I, I also, cause so, you know, simply side, co like, so a lot of people may not know this, but like my actual side business is called Coastal Information Security Group. And it started as a um, consulting business, uh, which, you know, professional services. And now with some of the other um, revenue streams and the course I made and stuff like that. Um, oh, gaming with the cat dropping uh, bombs. I do have a sound effect for that, Ian. So you'll get to hear that right now. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right. Thank you for the support gaming with the cat. So, um, so I know a little bit about business, but, but one thing that you, that you just said that I want to echo and then share something that I've learned myself and I don't do it because I'm, I'm terrible at business, but, um, he said, go talk to like a hundred people if you're doing B2C, right? Or, uh, 10 businesses B2B. Okay. So. I want everybody to be fully aware. If you do move forward with like a side hustle to make it official or whatever, and you say, hey, listen, I'm Ian Garrett. I'm thinking about starting a company that's gonna sell uh, secure um, secure file storage, okay? And, and, and Ian's got a great pitch. And 10 businesses are like, oh my God, that's the best. Absolutely all in on it. And then you say, okay, I'm gonna sell it for like 50 or, or $5,000 uh, annually. But because you're an early adopter, I'll sell it to you for four grand. Give me the $4,000 right now. You'll actually, like, even though 100% of people or, or say 50% of the people are like, yes, I, I would totally buy that. When it comes time to actually make purchasing decision, th that's not true, right? So you've got to be mindful. And like, like Ian said, sell it as an advanced waiting list and actually get people to commit to it. Uh, because what, you know, I've seen it a million times, like you hear someone say that they love the idea and you run off and do it. And then when it comes time, they're like, oh, um, you know, it's a budget thing right now or like some some excuse. Right. So, Ian, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that um, specific topic and concept, but but I'd love because you've obviously gone down the road. I'd be curious if you've got some experience being, being burned by stuff like that. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much <laughs> that is the story and the struggle from both the uh, investor side, from the sales side. So, and you'll pretty much anytime uh, money is coming from anyone else, it's going to be the same story of people are very. I mean, that's why the you know people say talk is cheap. It, it really is. Like people are, are happy to hype you up, happy to send positive vibes your way. Um, but when the time to actually <laughs> close a deal. Uh, in any sense, then it's, you know, all of a sudden the objections come up. So it's really important to try to get to those objections as soon as possible. Um, uh, founders always say, especially from an, an investment standpoint, it's, it's, it's better to get a quick no than a long maybe. <laughs> um, and same with sales, because like the faster you can get to a no, the more, you know, you're not wasting anyone's time, you're not wasting their time, they're not wasting your time. Um, and really it's, it's how to get those objections as much as possible. So you want to understand, you know, it's like, Hey, this is a you know, secure document management's great. Um, all about it. This is, this is going to be an awesome thing one day. And it's like, okay, well, are you looking for solutions now? What's your budget? You know, we can work with you and they're like, Hey, maybe I got no budget. It's like, okay, well maybe let's get you on a 90 day trial and, or, and you can pay us back in feedback. 
you know, something like that. So, mm-hmm. and, then, and then even then they'll be like, well, if they really don't want it, then, then they'll be like, ah, oh, it's not going to work. And it's like, okay, if we can't give it away for free, then, you know, they didn't really have to be true buyer intent. Yeah, exactly. And, and you can even leverage that as an opportunity, like, okay, like, no, but uh, you know, can you tell us like, what is it about the product that is a, is a hard no, uh, not, not so we can fix it and sell it to you again, but so, you know, we can improve our product, you know, there's tons of ways to do that. So Ian, it's day, it's day two on our journey. We we've, we've not gotten the business cards. We have a good idea. We went and talked to 10 businesses and, um, you know, have validated the concept. It is a good idea. What, what do we do next? Are we hiring developers? Are we, are we mapping out a Visio diagram? What are we, what are we doing? Yeah. So, um, at that point is, I would say closer to, I wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily need a formal business plan, but you definitely want to start formalizing some of the, the, the numbers that are associated with your business. So, um, from a, you know, let's say from a, from a funding standpoint, right? So you, you don't have the product built yet, or, or if you're running a services and maybe you haven't put together what you need for services. Um, figure out how you want to fund it, right? So if it's a service-based business, those are usually more um, cash cash flow positive early on. So you wouldn't, and they're not very investable from, especially from a VC standpoint. Um, so you wouldn't want to go down that route. Also, usually not, uh, government grants aren't usually focused around ser- those kind of services, um, or at least the like innovation research contracts that, that we're thinking of don't, don't usually focus around those kind of services. Um, but the plus side is, Hey, usually cash is upfront if you're doing consulting, many services, anything like that. Um, but it's really to figure out like, what are you, how do you want to fund it? Cause if you want to go down the government contracting route, let's say with the SIBRs or STTRs, SBIRs, TTR, those are innovation research contracts. They put out a need for something. You can, uh, put in an idea and they'll give you usually about 150 K or so, uh, for their phase ones to help you build the thing. Um, great way to start a business. Great option. Um, can you, you know, can you share that again? I want to type, I want to like Google it, um, and bring it up on stream. Cause I think that that's a really valuable resource that people should know about. Yeah. It's an SBIR. SBIR grants. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, small business innovation research. Okay, um, so it. pretty much government entities will put out um different topics uh, a lot of them are very more forward leaning so it's it's less of a uh hey we got it right now you know we need someone to fix our it services it's more like uh hey we're looking for someone who's doing research on quantum and builds us a little quantum prototype um, so this is also this is also very researchy uh, friendly so it, it, the phase one is the end product is usually their white paper or a prototype, uh, ideally a prototype, and then fa- and then pretty much you would transition that to a phase two, where you build more of the prototype and work it in the labs, and then if you get to a phase three, that's kind of where they keep um, pushing your product. But that's definitely one great option. Um, obviously, you have to navigate a bit of the government contracts, co- contracting world with this. Do but you, they, uh, uh, hey, Ian, really quick, can I ask? Do you have to be a? Um, do you need like a, a Sam's? Uh, or Dunn's number or Sam cage code, all that stuff. You do. Um, but the good news is that's all free and it's all yep. navigatable online. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I, yeah. Just to let people know you do have to, first of all, I, I'm sorry, really quick, uh, Ian, one thing that we didn't mention, you have to register a business, right? Like 
you, you definitely that's that should really be like step one like if you've decided you're going to start a business you have to register a business so you can get a, a tax id and all that other stuff because when you're filling out any of this stuff they're definitely going to ask you for that information yeah yeah so actually that goes back to the the funding <laughs> the funding source uh topic because um yeah so be, if you're going down this route definitely you need an entity um, but depending on what route you're going down will actually depend on what entity you want to go with. So uh, with an SBIR type, you know, an LLC works great. Um, mm -hmm. But and same with you running a uh, services, LLC works great. Um, but if you want to go be a venture backed uh, startup uh, product focused, actually an LLC is not great. <laughs> so um, obviously the, the way those process works, you know, you're selling shares of your company. Um, so you need shares of your company and also you're dealing with uh, potential investors from uh, various regions and the thing about uh, llc's let's say incorporated I'm, I'm based out of virginia so if we incorporated in virginia then not every uh not all the laws business laws in virginia apply to other areas so phalanx is actually a delaware c core um which is pretty standard for vc-backed companies uh, and that's again because the delaware business laws are recognized pretty much across the board. Um, mm -hmm. So one thing is when you're setting up, especially for venture backs, when you're setting up a business, you want to make it as vanilla as possible. Um, you want to leave all your innovation for your technology, make the actual business side uh, very, very generic, very boring in terms of, uh, the, we use a, a, a tool called Clerky, um, which was designed to incorporate and set up all the documents for a uh, Delaware or California C-Core uh, in four companies that are being venture backed. Interesting. I, I had no idea that, um, you know, it, it really made a difference, um, depending on the type of money you're going after. So the, the SBIR, that seems pretty straightforward. You basically fill out some forms, you kind of map to it and you know, you hope that you get in there. Um, probably wouldn't hurt to network with people in that space. So they know you a little bit better and it's not just a blank form. Um, now, since Phalanx went with VC-backed, um, my understanding is VC-backed, um, can we talk, because that's another area of like mysterious intrigue to me. Like, do you go to like, you know, like in my mind, it's like you go to like an auction and there's like rich people with monocles and they're like, you know, just like, mm, harumph, like tell me about your product. You know what I mean? Uh, it's probably not what's going on. Uh, but I mean, it, like, how do you, how do you find VC people? How do you engage VC people? Is there a structure and a process that's pretty standard? Yeah. So, um, for us, we didn't have any startup network or background. So, uh, we actually are a pretty good use case for how to get started in it. Cause, uh, we had no, we had no idea for one and no network for two. Um, but it really is, you do need a network find. So pretty much you find other people, you know, anyone here that's interested, definitely reach out to me. I'm happy to, you know, pay it forward. Uh, but it, for us, what helped us a lot was for one, we, uh, one of my friends had started a company a, a year or two prior was successful. She was able to raise a lot of money. Um, so having her as a, as a mentor, that was a near term mentor was super helpful because uh, it wasn't, she wasn't so far ahead that, you know, let's say she wasn't like a business leader from that started 20 years ago that, you know, a lot of those first tactical movements were lost on her. Um, also times change, right? So what, what happened five years ago, even is, is not exactly how you would operate now. So having someone who was just a year or two ahead, uh, you know, had some very tactical questions of like, 
how do I start the company? How many shares should I be putting out? Blah, 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 and all that. And who are early stage investors that I can talk to? Um, she still had a strong network there. So that I would say number one is definitely find some sort of mentor and network um, within the community that you're trying to jump into. So find other, other startup founders, um, definitely find, you know, ideally people who are in it a couple couple years in or a year in. Again, like I said, if, if you don't have anyone, reach out to me, happy to, to do that. Um, and then two, what actually really helped us too was an accelerator. So I know it's mixed feelings <laughs> on accelerators. A lot of people are like, oh, you're selling so much to your company. Um, but for us, we got a lot. We got so much out of it. We went through the Techstars New York City Accelerator. Um, and again, it jumpstarted our startup like community. And it's a very, a very great and thriving community. So we went from knowing zero founders, <laughs> zero investors to um, being able to reach out to founders across the board to include unicorn founders, as well as um, having tons of VCs that we can speak with. So let me let me ask you, because again, this is all like this. I'm so fortunate that, you know, Simply Cyber, I bring guests on to educate the community. But like personally, I get to learn a whole bunch as well, which is awesome. Can you back up a second and talk about these accelerators? Because I've heard of um, incubators and accelerators, and it just sounds like business buzzwords um, that don't really resonate with me, or I can't really appreciate them. Can you can you talk about this accelerator? It sounds like do you have to compete? Are you not? Are you guaranteed money? Or are you not? Like can you can you kind of uh, roll it back a little bit? Yeah. So the accelerator space. Um... I think is also getting a little saturated. So that's actually a little tough too. Um, but I would say the biggest difference between an incubator and accelerator is an incubator is like really even like earlier stage than an accelerator. So like the ideas aren't even fully formulated there. Um, I actually haven't heard of too many incubators recently that um, like true incubators recently that, that people have interacted with. Um, but for accelerators, uh, I mean, they are trying to go at even earlier stage than they are, um, which I guess is a whole other topic. Um, but essentially, you know, what a, a big part of the accelerator is, you know, you can show up with um, just an idea, no products. Uh, I mean, so generally there is an application process. They do accept uh, only a limited number. Um, the top ones are pretty much like Y Combinator, Techstars, um, 500 startups. Um, but there's a, a bunch of them out there at different types. So the, the kind of the standard, so Y Combinator really kicked it off back in the day um, for this kind of model. And the, the standard deal there was they would take like six, 7% of your company um, and invest in like a hundred, $150,000. Um, so, so a lot of those accelerators still operate that way. They'll invest in you know, 100 to 150,000 or so, take about six, 7% of the company. Um, but what they offer again is, you know, that, that is a lot of the company for sure. But, you know, for a company that if you're not making a lot of revenue or zero revenue or zero product, even, um, for us, again, we had zero startup community. So they, it was a startup community in the box for us so that they were able to not only, um, in introduce us to everybody, but also they, they taught us a lot about operating a startup, how to uh, be lean, also how to continually um what i always call micro pivoting which is just like changing and iterating on every part of the process uh, as much as possible based off of you know data and metrics so it's kind of like shark tank i mean is that like a fair analogy like i, um, I feel like a lot of people are familiar with shark tank 
Yeah, yeah. So the the for one, the Shark Tank deals are definitely the kind of companies that go in there are a lot different than tech companies. So the deals are are much worse. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, well, I meant I, I didn't mean necessarily the the deals where it's like fifty percent of your company, <laughs> but. Um, but but I guess it, you know in a in a in a broad sense yes so it's it's less of you're in a you know room with a bunch of investors honestly if you can have the opportunity to be in a room with a bunch of investors that's always a good thing because you want to have as many people at the same time um, thinking and, and talking over what you're doing um, but it, it is a lot of a lot of individual conversations so. Mm -hmm. Uh, when we were kicking off our fundraising round, I was speaking to like, I think it was like 10 investors a day. <laughs> like, oh my God. Uh, yeah. It, it was luckily now that, you know, it was post 2020. So video calls were standardized. So I didn't actually have to fly anywhere and go to the offices or anything. But the reason why like Silicon Valley was uh, such a big thing before um, from an investment standpoint is like all the offices were like on one road so you could just like go down <laughs> go down the street nice. um, but I was able to do it from you know anywhere uh, speak to people all over the country um, and all over the world so but it was definitely like just on just <laughs> you get your pitch down pretty well um, doing that yeah it's it's a lot of work it's definitely a lot of work and uh, so I'm, I, there's a ton of questions coming from chat um, and I, and I do want to, since we're talking about investing, I do want to share one quick thing and then I'll, I'll, I'll bring questions on for rapid fire for you, Ian. Um, and thanks for the questions chat. Uh, I heard someone recently tell me at, at, um, Black Hat, I was having lunch with them and they had just got series A funding. Like, like they was, the news release was going to go out the next day. And, um, I was like, oh, that's fantastic. That's great. And they're like, yeah, but you got to remember, it's not like it's not like that's the goal. And now I can like go to a beach. Like all, all that means is that now I have to work really hard because that, that money is unlocking work for me. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like a lot of people get wrapped around like, Oh my God, Ian got just got $150,000 today. And it's like, yeah, but that's not, I'm not buying a car with that. I'm, I'm literally running, a, attempting to run and grow a business. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, that again, goes back to the funding source question, right? Cause it's, it's so, for some people they're like, oh, oh, if I could raise a million dollars, of course I would take the million dollars. But the reality is, like you said, that there is certain things that come with taking VC money versus taking a government grant versus bootstrapping yourself. And it's not all about how much you're, you know, specifically getting. Um, cause obviously, you know, payouts are great and all, but you know, at the end of the day, the reason you would want to take VC money is you know, you do have something that you do believe can go, go the distance. And then, so like, you're okay with diluting because you, this thing is continually growing, but it's also not something that you're going to be able to pass on to your kids. You know, it's not, it's not designed as something to just kind of maintain forever. Like yeah. you might be ousted because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about what's best for that business. So if I can grow with Phalanx if, and Phalanx continues to grow and outpaces me, then I'll need to swap out myself for you know an institutional ceo and and that's fine that's great right so that means the business is growing more than i can grow with it um so if you know that but that's a reality too you know if at the end of the day it's not your baby anymore <laughs> it's, yeah it's the entity that is growing itself um versus a small business you know if you bootstrap it or if you take even grants like you can that's something you can run a lifestyle business you can run that forever and hand it off to your kids if you want i love it 
Uh, so Shane Heim starts us off with the questions. He wants to know what's the biggest barrier to entry or what's a, what's a big barrier to entry into the information security industry? Uh, yeah, so the biggest challenge, I think, is having something that meets a minimum threshold to sell. So, for example, we had built our minimum viable products MVP um, early on, and it did the core functionality of what families needed to do with the automated encryption, but it was missing a number of integrations like single sign-on, um, and a multi-tenancy and, and that actually was a barrier for us to be able to sell it so it's like it did the thing but it just didn't do it didn't have all these auxiliary functions that allowed it to be used in business um so i think that is probably the biggest barrier to entry is all of the boring stuff that isn't sexy that your product needs to have to make it functional within business jack scott another entrepreneur and and uh uh perennial hustler uh lo lo love me some jack scott she wants to know how phalanx came up with the name yeah so um a big military history nerd <laughs> so that's that's part of it um and it, it really goes into uh what you know kind of what a phalanx represents from the ancient greek military standpoint so it's an ancient greek military formation um they had these shields and these long spears and it was a dominant force for a while because of the ability to essentially protect themselves while being able to move forward and attack other formations. Um, and that's how, we, you know, really what represents what, what we've built with Phalanx. So uh, we individually encrypt data across an organization, both locally and in the cloud. So really, and, and it's not dependent on, you know, any kind of perimeter-based security. So, you know, we wanted to represent, hey, we have something that it, it's like these shields interlocking with all these individually encrypted pieces of data um and because of that your posture is more strong because of the security on the individual versus you know a big wall or something like that nice great great uh great example and you know i do love me some military history i don't know if you've heard uh dan carlin's hardcore history but that is an absolute treat if you, if you are into uh military history uh, Neon Nomad, uh, the guy who, I, or the woman or man that I was pumping up earlier today wants to know, uh, what'd you use for self-study? What conferences did you go beginning to? Uh, who should you speak to? Wow, Neon, you jammed in a bunch of questions here. How do you develop a wait list? And what do you use to do the startup math? Thanks. Ian, I'll let you just answer this. I'm going to take my headphones off and go grab some lunch. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, so honestly, it's maybe lame, but like Google was was uh, was part of the self study. But uh, honestly, going into that, I've actually started um, adding a lot of this information into my own website just for other people like me. It's called crowdfuel.co, co. Um, but essentially, you know, finding some good communities online that have. Um, that have insights on into entrepreneurship and in particular the kind that you're going for, right? So if you want to do startups, find other startups. If you want to do a small business, find this if you want to do a managed service provider, find some other managed service providers. Um, conferences wise, we actually didn't go to any conferences for entrepreneurship. Um, definitely would though, if I were to do it again, purely because of what I was saying earlier. Um, it's honestly it's sim similar if you're trying to break into like cybersecurity, like go to where the other practitioners are and meet them and talk to them. So definitely, I, unfortunately, I don't have any good recommendations for conferences, but definitely look up to see if there's any kind of um, 
conferences out there. And yeah, waitlist-wise, the way to set that up would be just honestly keep track. So keep track of all the conversations you're having. Never lose people's contact information. Um, following up is actually one of the biggest differentiators. Um, a lot of people meet at a conference or meet at a networking event, have a great time. You know, you get their trade business cards or whatever, um, and then no follow-up happens. And so never assume that people are gonna follow up with you. Just always follow up with them. Um, and that's essentially what your wait list is, is keep a track of all the people that have said that, yes, this is great. Keep track of what they said. And then once it's time to release, honestly, before that, you know, when you're about to release, hit them up. When you release, hit them up. And after you release, hit them up. Wow. All right. And what was that blog you said? I tried to Google it, but Phalanx's SEO is too strong. And it, <laughs> what was, yeah, what was I, it's, 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 it's a separate thing I'm just doing on the side, but it's called a crowd fuel. Uh, crowd fuel yeah yeah uh, and i've just been putting in kind of just uh tips and tools of just what you know what i've been learning along the way yeah maybe you while i'm queuing up the next one in private chat if you could just type that because i i just googled ian garrett blog crowd fuel and and uh, you know google google puked uh so going on to the next one thank you uh going on to the next one um aaron kg another entrepreneur Hustler, he wants to know, uh, so you investors and money are in, right? Have you marketed yourselves to keep building your company outward? It's important for a company to keep landing clients. So what do you do to get them? Yeah, so that, I mean, <laughs> that is that is the question. Um, so there are, there's actually another important thing to think about as you start um, moving forward uh, with your company is how do you want to reach people? So uh building it and they will come is not a thing <laughs> uh, if you have an amazing product that is solving the greatest problem that is like the absolute baseline um and it's not enough to actually get the thing sold so it as a technical person moving into you know the business field that is actually the thing that broke my heart the most <laughs> is learning that being good at what you do and having a great amazing product is is just not good enough so it's like, how do you actually sell the thing? So for us, a lot of that is through direct sales and leveraging our network. So uh, I always say it's like, like a knife fight for us right now, where it's like very one person having a conversation with one person. Eventually, what we're trying to do is get that into a, a referral motion. So it's like, hey, as we um, have good customers that love what we're doing, they'll tell other people like them about why they love what, what we're doing for them. Um, but so that for ours is more sales focused right now, but we're also working more on SEO to bring in that kind of internal uh, inbounds uh, sales motion as well. And that's more of a marketing focus. Um, and then another thing that we're debating playing with, we haven't done it yet, it's called product-led growth. So anytime you've ever signed up for uh, like a SaaS tool online for free that they try to upsell you to, <laughs> to the, their paid tier, that's called product-led growth. Um, and so that's another way you could potentially uh, get your product out there and, and build that kind of hype around it. Um, but again, it's not just if you were to just release your product for free, uh, you'd be surprised how little traction that would get um, by just having it out there. Yeah, not not everything is chat GPT. Am I right? right. <laughs> so and I'm going to and they're burning millions of dollars a day on that. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, real quick. This is Ian's blog, personal crowd fuel, where he shares 
like he's sharing tons of great information with us on the stream right now, obviously, but he uses this blog uh, to capture and document so many different things um, on, on doing that. So if any of this conversation is interesting to you, go to crowdfuel.co. I put the link in the chat um, and learn from him. I will be subscribing like I just did, or I will put my name in once I subscribe and uh, you'll have another sub uh, in a second, Ian. So one question I wanted to make sure that I asked, um, and we do have questions. Well, hold on. I have one more question in chat right now and I'll, it's not fair for me to cut the line. Um, CSB wants to know what happens if you can't raise enough revenue to pay those payouts back. So I guess maybe second round of funding or something like that, but you don't raise enough on the second founder round of funding. What happens there? Yeah, so uh, that actually goes into more of the mechanics of uh, those financial vehicles. So um, when you're raising money using your equity, you're essentially selling, I mean, you, you are selling <laughs> securities at that point. So you're selling shares of your company. Uh, what early stage does is often use something called a safe, which is um, similar, a safe or a convertible note, which you're essentially selling future securities. Um, the safe, there's no debt associated with it. The convertible note, sometimes called convertible debt. Um, but when people hear debt, they're like, oh, I got to pay that back in terms of like, if I got a, you know, a loan or something like that, but that's actually not the, the case. Um, that, that what the convertible debt component is for one, it's backed on your company. So you've incorporated this entity that the entity has taken the debt on. So if you can't pay back the, ent the entity folds <laughs> so that that'll go bankrupt, not you. Um, but for two, the, that's just more of a, a security to the investor saying that if you end up taking a direction that is not the, you know, venture back products route, and then let's say, let's say, we're, you know, we, we raise, a raise a bunch of money on Phalanx and people are hyped on really, like, Hey, this is how we become a unicorn billion dollar company. And then I, you know, halfway through, I'm like, actually, we got a pretty comfy situation here. Um, you know, I'm pretty comfortable where things are and I just stop the momentum, then a convertible note allows the investor to take like 20, you know, uh, me to pay them back, uh, you know, with 20% interest or something um, is a security to them if I don't continue to, uh, you know, the growth that is expected of VC backed company. Um, but if you continue going up that route, you know, they'd rather take the equity than the cash back, obviously. Um, but yeah, going back to it, that's why VC is such a risky, uh, place to invest in is because they is a high risk for them and they're expecting big returns because of it. So you got to understand, you know, kind of the mechanics there too. So they, they're putting money into you at a very early stage and they're expecting, you know, 10 X hundred X even, um, you know, those kind of returns back on their money. So it is, if you go bankrupt and you can't pay them back, that's, that's the risk that they took on. Um, they obviously also try to help you out <laughs> so to, to be successful because they want to see a return on there. Um, but that being said, uh, a VC, a VC with a two X return is not, that's a bad return for them. Right. So they're, they, because they have put out a bunch of risky bets. So they, they put out 10 that there's going to be half of those are going to fold. One's going to be a two X and they need one to be like hundred X so they can pay back their, uh, limited partners. So, um, Long story short, you don't owe the money back because the entity is going to go bankrupt. All right. Very cool. So what, what are, this is my question. 
What what are some myths or misconceptions that people just get wrong about launching and kind of, you know, the first 90 days, if you will, of the, of a cybersecurity startup? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it goes to uh, what I was saying, where building it just isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, especially, I think a lot of cyber founders do have a strong cyber and strong technical background um, and are used to being successful with being good at something. Um, and being good at, you know, being being able to deep dive and having a good grasp on technology and building a good technology, right? So that that really doesn't translate to being able to sell the product. Um, so for one, uh, actually the the other piece that I was, that's a great way to you know check box to have before you get started. One was find some mentors in the community, but two is find some co-founders. <laughs> I think that's another that was another point of success for us. There's three of us in total, three co-founders. Um, and, uh, and they all have different skills, right? So I would say this is not the time to find people just like you. Um, if you find, if it's you and like your best buddy at the company, both like deep dive, really good pen testers, um, probably not the best, you know, I mean, you can make it work, but just because, you know, your best buds in both technical is actually not a good thing. You want to have someone who, you know, maybe someone who has no cyber skills, no technical skills and they're just a really good salesperson a really good marketer and growth marketer like you want to find somebody who f uh, complements your skill set and not necessarily the same skill set um and don't worry about you know a lot of people get hung up on well this percentage that percentage like I, it was my idea um don't worry about that because <laughs> again a great product a good idea without selling is not a business it's just a project um so you know if you have someone that can actually sell the thing that you've built like that's go go 50 50. you know like if you've you know you still you started selling initially and you have a little bit of trickling revenue then yeah maybe work on a different kind of split but i would say especially if there's nothing built yet especially if it's early days don't get hung up on the percentages just get some people in on it um you're stronger together and then also a big part of being a startup is just the mental health aspect um, it's very, uh, taxing. Um, I know you understand it from the research standpoint as well, <laughs> very yeah. similar to research where it's like, it's a lot of the inputs don't equal the outputs. Um, so if you, if you have people together in it with you together, that's, you're much more likely to survive than, um, if you're in and on alone, you know, you get, you get burned out and you have to fold the thing. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you, you fact check me here, Ian. I feel like there's a lot of parallels that people in chat can identify with, with starting a startup um, in that, um, like breaking in, like getting educated and breaking into cybersecurity. Like, you know, everyone just sees that you have the job, right? Oh, you're a SOC analyst, like, but they don't see all of the hard work and all of the squiggly line. It wasn't a straight line. People just see it. And, you know, when you have a startup, like you're the CEO of a successful cybersecurity company that has, you know, X amount of revenue. And it's like, holy crap. Like that seems like, ama like that's amazing. But like, you know, people don't really see, you know, the, the seven days a week, how long did you, I I'm sure you work seven days a week for a period of time, if not already doing it right. Like no one really thinks about that. Um, so you don't just punch in and punch out and not think about it in off hours. So, you know, I, I think there's a parallel there. We, we have another question from chat. Um, a really good question. I like Aaron KG's question here around how much of a stake do you give out? Like, are there, how do you decide how much an investor gets? How much do you decide, um, like percentages? I know like 
I've heard of situations where people will give out fractions of a percentage, like 0.1% fully diluted stock uh, of, a, of a company uh, for certain services and stuff like that instead of paying cash out. How, how are those... Uh, how are those cuts determined? Is there like an industry standard that everybody knows about except me? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, there is a couple different ways to go about it. Uh, initially, again, going to, um, you know, we just had, I just had a good idea, but nothing else. Uh, grab some co-founders. We went equal equity among all the co-founders. And I thought that, I think, I still think today, um, a couple years later that that was the right move because at the end of the day, you know, we are in it together. I, even though everyone has different skill sets, it, it is something that everyone's bringing something very valuable and very different to the table. And a, a, another part of that too is I know some people will look at, oh, you know, let's say for equal equity, but you know, this person isn't pulling their weight. Like sometimes, sometimes it's the case, but sometimes it actually is like the weight that is being pulled just looks different. Um, so that's also something good to keep in mind. So it's like, the less you think about the payout, the better. <laughs> just think about trying to build a good company and the payout's gonna come. Um, as for all the other ones, it, it depends on the style of the company. So some people like to pay a lot of equity to employees or even like consultants here and there. We decided to go against that route. Ours was more, we wanna pay people at you know market rate being able to, and then, you know, as a startup, it's, it's hard to, you're not going to compete with some of the bigger companies, but there's a lot of uh, value. And a lot of people find that uh, they want to be in a part of a startup ecosystem and they want to be able to build something that you know, matters and they have that frontline experience. You know, it's very quick to see, like, I built the thing and here's a customer loving it versus, you know, in a big organization, it's like, I built this thing and I don't know if anyone's using it or you're abstracted so much from the customer. Um, so, you know, again, we, we wanted to go more with a, Hey, let's try to pay cash, um, and, and provide equity, but it's less about, I'm always suspicious when it's like, Hey, we're going to give you, we're going to pay you 10% of market rate. And here's a bunch of equity. Um, cause then, you know, if the founders are giving away that much equity, then I find it a little suspicious. <laughs> Neon Nomad with a follow-up question wants to know what were some of the biggest challenges besides funding? And what challenges are kind of something that you just deal with on the regular? Yeah, so uh, product market fit. So product market fit is essentially figuring out how to actually position and message your product in the market um, and which and who are you selling it to? So that's and we're still refining that to date. Um, but that is that is probably the number one challenge, right? And it goes into like if we solve that and then that'll help the, with the sales and the marketing and essentially again it goes back to building a great thing that's filling a great security need is only the bare minimum to start moving that thing forward because then you have to figure out how do you actually for one who are you selling to really because like what we built with phalanx definitely anyone could use it from sole proprietor consumer could uh, fortune 500 could but if you start with that you're gonna sell nothing because <laughs> because nobody's gonna nobody really cares about what you're selling so it, it, the more you can niche it down uh the better the better it is to sell so if i could say even though it applies to everybody let's say um you know we want to sell let's say small businesses are actually like we, have, we just we brought in a new a cpa firm recently a small business cpa firm if we niche down on that and saying like yeah you know everyone can use it but 
you know, here's why Phalanx is the number one tool for small business CPA firms that need to transfer, you know, secure data from their clients. Yeah, then, then, you know, because they'll, the business owner there will be like, oh, I have a challenge sending secure documents with my clients. And then they'll, you know, they're interested at that point. But if I go, you know, we're a secure document management platform that uses your, you know, bring, bring security to your environment. Then it's just like, <laughs> they're like, you know, maybe, maybe somebody in security might be interested, but you know, the more, yeah, like your messaging depends on who's trying to buy it. So our CISOs, our messaging to CISOs is a lot more technical to our message to small business owners. Yeah. And I guess you have to have kind of different, different campaigns and different, you know, approaches, right? So you, you, you can market it to different groups at the same time. It's just, you know, the messaging. Love it. Um, that's all the questions in chat. I, you know, we got, we do have six minutes left, so I am going to kind of squeeze the sponge as, as much as I can to get it out. So Ian, I want to know from a work-life balance, like is Phalanx all you eat, breathe, sleep, and drink? Or are you able to unplug? Like, like how much, I guess the question is, how much of, a, of being a startup consumes your life? Because that's that's a that's a cost that has nothing to do with financial revenue goals or success or anything like that. It's a cost and a burden that you have to pay. And I'm curious, you know, what's uh, the reality? Yeah, I mean, so I think it also depends on your personality. So <laughs> I've been a, I'm always uh, doing something, and I'm always really invested in, especially career-wise, what I'm doing. So um, Phalanx hasn't been a drastic shift away from when I was doing. Uh, any other careers, except for now, I know that it's paying into, you know, what I'm building is something that I'm building versus building something for someone else. Um, but I mean, I, I, we still take vacations, still enjoy time off. Um, I actually, one of the things I find very important that I stress for the team. So we, we do offer a, uh, unlimited PTO, um, which is, you know, I know usually a red flag for people like, oh, that means they're going to work you to death. Um, but because of that, uh, we actually force days off, you know, it's like, Hey, for one, if you need to take time off, do, you know, do it. But other, because it's unlimited, you know, I actually find that it's like, Hey, this day, everyone definitely take off. Um, you know, that way you're, you know, so, you know, for us, it is, it is a balance, but the more we can make the balance, the more again, survivable and sustainable it is. Um, cause if you go all in all the time and burn out the, the company will fold, but if you can show up 80%, you know, and peak to 150% time to time and you're, you know, rocking at something sustainable and something that keep the, the company alive. Um, that's the number one thing I get feedback I get, or I guess tip I get from, from more seasoned entrepreneurs is just survive another day. Like if the company can just survive another day, then you're every day that goes by drastically increases your chances of success. Um, you know, sales cycles can be long, takes a while to find, you know, it takes time to build. But so if you could just survive another day, then your chances of survival skyrocket. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think I've heard some metric that like, you know, if you can get past like the first 18 months or the first eight months or something, there's some metric that like most startups fail you know, in, a, in, a, in this range of time. And if you can get past that range, um, it's, you know, the, the likelihood of you making it go up, uh, dramatically. Um, I don't know if you've heard that either, but, um, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it, it really is uh, honestly about, I mean, where we are now, <laughs> year three. Um, oh, this is also something that happens a lot that we found. Um, so you, I don't know if you've heard of like stealth startups or like startup in stealth, stealth mode or whatever. Um, I, I, I have not. I have not. Uh, well, it, it, now that you have, you'll probably start seeing it. <laughs> but okay. pretty much what happens is uh, startups will be in stealth. And this definitely happens around more technical based startups. Um, where they'll build and start, you know, making everything happen kind of behind the scenes. So their website will either be just a splash page or nothing at all. Um, and the reason why they're doing that for one is at first I thought it was an IP protection thing where it was like, oh, we don't want our competitors to steal our idea. Um, what I realized more is a hype building thing to build enough customers and hype that when you do release, it looks like you have all this massive success out of nowhere and investors are pouring money. Um, when the reality is it took them a couple of years to get to that point. Um, so well, we didn't do that. <laughs> so we we found that the first two years, you know, had, was a lot of that building was a lot of that gaining traction, getting growth. Um, and this third year, you know, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of the success that most people, you know, start to attribute a brand new startup to. Um, and, and the reality is it does take a lot of time. Uh, so definitely if you are thinking about doing a startup commit a few years to it at least um and know that it's gonna honestly any business <laughs> like if you're starting a business commit a few years to it at least or know that you're going to commit a few years to it at least before you start seeing any kind of traction or success that you would normally contribute to you know successful entrepreneurs yeah absolutely uh just quick question from carrie wanting to know uh, if Phalanx is hiring actively right now? We are not, unfortunately. Uh, and I'm super excited that when we can start growing the team, but um, in a in the same way of building a marketing list, would love anyone that is interested in potentially working uh, for us to reach out. Uh, my email is ian at phalanx.io. Um, just send me what you'd be interested in doing. If a resume, I'll put it in my um, bucket of potential hires. And once we are hiring for that role, um, I'll reach out. Cool. I just dropped Ian's email address in chat since he said it online. Uh, Ian, it's a standard practice here at the show. Uh, I'd love to give you the stage, you know, 60 seconds or so, say whatever you want. You could, you can even badmouth me. I step away from the stage. So it's all you buddy. Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest thing I think is just really, uh, if you're thinking, even even just thinking about doing any kind of entrepreneurship, definitely go for it um, and definitely build that community and network around you uh, that you're interested in. Um, again, always feel free to use me as a resource. Uh, I want to be the, the, the help that I was looking for back in the day. Um, and other than that, uh, if you're having a great, successful cyber career, keep chugging at it. Um, and don't think that entrepreneurship is the only way. So I'll say both sides of the coin there, um, but appreciate everyone tuning in. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ian. Genuinely appreciate it. Like the amount mm -hmm. of value that you just delivered in such a short amount of time is insane. I said it in chat mm -hmm. earlier. That was basically like a, how to start a business seminar. Um, you know, high value, great content. Uh, I'm really glad that I met you at Wild West Hacking Fest, and I'm really glad that we got to connect and uh, we continue to connect uh, offline, anyways. But able to come on and, and help help the Simply Cyber audience uh, regularly. So genuinely, on behalf of Chat and be you know on behalf of myself, sincerely appreciate you giving us your time today and your insights.
yeah, really appreciate having me on and hopefully uh, contribute to the community here. I love it. All right. Well, we'll say, we'll see you in a minute or I'll see you in a minute, Ian, one second here. So guys, I hope you got value out of the stream today. I want to remind everybody that um, every single day, right? Every single day on Simply Cyber, including tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time, I will be doing the live daily cyber threat briefing. So if you want to continue to network, if you'd like to stay up to date on what is going on in our industry, uh, please join me and the rest of chat there, simplycyber.io slash streams. Uh, if someone can hit exclamation point uh, something in chat to make that come up, <laughs> I'd appreciate that. But uh, my name is Jerry. This has been Simply Cyber Live. Chat, you guys have been fantastic. Great questions uh, from all of you. Uh, I, I know a lot of you got value. I saw your chats in here. I saw the conversations in Discord. I genuinely appreciate all of you. I hope you can join us next week. I believe uh, next week we... Actually, I don't know who we're having next week, but join us next week. I'll, I'll, I'll send it out uh, tomorrow on the, uh, the Cyber Threat Briefing. Uh, connect with Ian on LinkedIn or send him that email per his, uh, per his guidance. And uh, I wish you all the very best. So until next time, stay secure.